This morning I encourage you to join me in Romans chapter 8. We're at verse number 10, verse number 11 today. As we work our way through this book, we're right on track, really. Uh, eighth time entering into this book, and well, we're ahead on verses now, but that won't last too long. Um, we'll slow down a little bit as we go. But verse number 10 and verse number 11 if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now your first impression might be, wow, what is that? There's a there's an awful lot of terminology in here that makes you stop and think a little bit and say, well, it sounds like it's got to get really theological to understand this passage. Uh, it can easily be that way. Anytime you want to talk about the Lord, you've got to get theological because it's a study of God, right? So, as we approach these words, we're going to need His help. So let's ask Him for that even now. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. We know what You have designed it to be. It is a written record, a permanent record, yet a living record, of what we must know. You have been so kind to us, not to leave us uh, without direction, without a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. You have given to us everything that we need for life and godliness. We are very blessed. And even when we approach a section of Scripture, like Romans 8, as deep as it gets, even a couple of verses that seem to be uh, a little challenging for us. We stop and say, Lord, thank you for what you have given to us. Help us to understand it better. May we come out of here today knowing you better, serving you better, loving you more. Certainly do your work in our hearts today. We're all needy people. And you are our God, you are our Father, and it's just a joy to have your work in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a, a fascinating little section we're going to start entering into. We've spent several weeks in the first four verses talking in reference to our security as believers that the Lord has dealt with the past. We have a secure uh, position with Jesus Christ because He gave His life for us. Sins have been dealt with. And as we've started in the first four verses here, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Do we really believe that? We ought to. <laughs> he said it. And as we read those first four verses, what a beautiful thing He has done for us. He set us free from the law of sin and the law of death. Those are great things. You are secure in that relationship, right there. You are secure in that relationship regarding your past. We also dealt with a rather lengthy section from verse 5 even into verse number 9, dealing with the issues of the mind, because that's where we get an awful lot of trouble. We start to think incorrectly. We, we let our minds lead us into places that uh, are not true. Matter of fact, mostly they're fleshly, and as a result of that, we don't know peace. 
and we don't enjoy the life. And, and what Scripture says so clearly here is the things of the mind, the mind, uh, deal with the flesh. The flesh deals with death, and the flesh is also hostile to God, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And all the way through that, you're saying, wow, that's very uncomfortable. How often do we find ourselves operating according to the flesh? In that passage, also, it talked about uh, the work of the Spirit in our life, and the mindset on the Spirit. Uh, these things are life and peace. And you know that, too, don't you? We have a secure relationship in our, in our minds, even, concerning the work of the Spirit. And we talked about that, and I'm not going to rehash all that today, but that was from verse number 5 through verse number 9. Very important section for us. Now I'm going to move into a third section that's also a place where you are quite secure. And that has to do with your living. This present day living. This, this right now living. What you're living. Uh, in verse 9, backing up just a verse, and moving all the way through verse number 13. Notice how often the word live pops up on the page. However, verse 9 says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation, not to the flesh, or we are under obligation, sorry, not to the flesh, but to live, or to live according to the flesh, but if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right? There's a lot of living in these words. To be honest with you, I think what you see in verse 9 through verse number 13 is what you see Monday through Sunday. This is life. What's it like to be a Christian? Does it make difference in everyday living that you know the Lord? We're going to explore that here this morning as we work on this passage. And there are some powerful little things that are going to be said in these verses. And it may seem logical, I hope. It may seem elementary to you to hear some of these things today. But the New Testament does have an awful lot to say about everyday living. How we are to live. Passages that uh, address so many topics in the epistles. Just about every single one of them comes back to how do we then live. One of my favorite things I do like to study, and I know you folks like it too, are end time events. Talk about eschatology, great big wonderful word, right? Oh, what's going to happen? Everyone's got curiosity. They want to know what's going to happen down the road. Uh, the New Testament does say quite a bit about it, doesn't it? And you know what I found very interesting is practically every single time the end times is mentioned in any category whatsoever, the application is always, how are you going to live today? For example, 1 Corinthians 15. You know that passage, maybe? Very important passage. I'll show it to you. 
uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it has to deal with the fact that there is a rapture of the church, yes, called a mystery. Um, verse 51, I tell you a mystery, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, we will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, we will be changed. We start to say, ooh, this is a great passage. And we go through all these things about death, where's your victory, death, where's your sting, sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, verse 56, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, okay, I'm ready. And then he hits you with verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. When? When? Now, be immovable. When? Now, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When? Now, he's talking about everyday life all of a sudden, isn't he? In reference to this great, great truth of what's coming our way, he comes back to that principle. He does it again. Paul does it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through verse number 18 is a great passage as well. He talks about those who uh, are concerned about those who have passed away in the church. And he says in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4, We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep, and that you do not grieve as as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Then he goes, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. And we're starting to get that eschatology feeling, aren't we? Oh, it's an exciting passage about He's coming, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we shall rise, be caught up together with them in the Lord in the air, and so on and so forth. And verse 18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. When? Now. Here's another thing. Chapter 5 of this same book, he goes into a great description of the tribulation period. He talks about the times and the seasons, brother, and about the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night, and all these other powerful little phrases here. And when he gets to verse 9, he says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we shall live together with Him. And again, we start to you know, rise up in the thoughts of how wonderful this is. And then verse 11, Therefore... Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He came right back to the living, didn't he? Taking great theological passages. I can go on and on with this. Peter does it. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. The day the Lord will come like a thief in which heavens and earth, will, the elements, uh, will pass away with a roar. Destroyed by intense heat, he goes on. The earth, its works, all burnt up. And since all these things are to be destroyed this way, he comes to this and says, So, what kind of people ought you to be? He comes back to the practical. He comes back to the everyday living. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? I just love how this happens so often. John, he couldn't, he couldn't let everyone else do this and not him. In his epistle, First John chapter 3, He says, see how great a love the Father 
has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. And he goes on, The world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, is that a very hopeful thing for us? Guess what he says next. And everyone who has this hope fixed in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. He came down to the practical living again. So often it does this. Why, why am I walking through this passage? Because in Romans chapter 8, you can't talk about the security of the believer without dealing with everyday life. Here's, here's the impression that too many, too many people have. God has my life secured, usually, on good days. He's with me. When things are going well, He blesses me. When, when I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, He loves me. I call that NASCAR theology. I've said that before, but how many times at the end of a race, it's the winner who says, God was with me today. And I always ask the question, what about the guy in second place? What if you had lost? Does that mean God wasn't with you? If you came in second, was he only with you for three corners and not four on the track? How is it that we think this way? That our everyday life is somehow separated from the theology we teach of God's Word. How is it that we, we, we conclude that God's care for us is, is kind of wavy, like on certain days He cares for us more, especially if we're more in tune with Him. But if we're not walking with Him like we should, somehow He's backed off on His love for us. How is it that we think that way? I know I talk to people like that a lot, who are rather discouraged. And they're saying, I don't understand what God is doing to me. And I said, well, he's doing the same thing he's always been doing. He's making you into the image of Christ. He hasn't quit. He's stretching you. How many of us like that? We don't. What we assume is, because he's stretching us, he must not care much for us. That's not the way it is. He loves you. He is concerned about your life on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. Whether it's a good day, as we call them, or a bad day, as we call them. God has your life secured. That's what this passage is going to show you. And I'm going to walk you through it, because I think it's very important that we see something in this passage, especially verse uh, 10 and verse number 11, because this chapter is full of realities, doctrinal realities, realities that do not change, they do not fluctuate, they don't go up with the stock market and down, they don't do that. I think it's a passage we ought to learn, because it's based on what God is doing, not on us. Not on circumstances. Not on events. I know we struggle with this. But here's the problem. And I'll, I'll just say it this way. 
when we base our understanding of God on circumstances, on events in life, we think that a bad day, for example, uh, things are not working right, our vehicles don't work right, our bank accounts don't look right. We, we go through issues with children or coworkers or illness or schedule problems or, or all these other things. And somehow we think that reflects our relationship with God. You know what we're actually doing? Or say it. It sounds pretty harsh. We are making God out in our image. We are making God out in our image. Because we're basing it on our perspective, not on his. Not on his. So let's look at the realities today. I think they will help. In reference to living, we are secure in this. And I'll tell you why. Verse 8 says, Christ is in you. Verse number 10. I mean, I said verse 8, didn't I? Verse number 10. Christ is in you. This is a reality, and I start with this on purpose. The word that you probably read is if Christ is in you. Do you see such a thing? little two-letter if sitting there in front of your passage. Well, I'm not going to be real technical, but a little bit technical. There's no Greek hocus-pocus here, okay? I'm not making anything up or such like that. This passage is presenting a condition of reality. We have words for that, which won't make any difference to you, probably. But if Paul wanted to say if, there is a word for if in the Greek language. It's spelled E-A-N in our English equivalent, ain, and that little word means if. It means maybe. It means possibly. It means, you know, those, all those ifs that we know so well in the English language. I hope so, kind of if. He did not use that word in this text. He spelled it out E-I. I is our word. And that is the word since. It is the word since. You say, well, why didn't they put it like that in my Bible? Well, the translators didn't look at if the way we do today in our generation. Ifs for us are maybes. Possiblys. I hope so. And we've learned to live that way. And we work on these conditional thoughts all the time, don't we? If, 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 if. And we work with it that way. Uh, Since makes all the difference in the world. Now stop and reread verse number 10 as I begin. Since Christ is in you. Uh Uh-oh. Is that powerful or what? Since. Christ is in Well, you say, how do I know he's in me? Back up to verse number 9. Do you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you? If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So, turn it around. If you do have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you, do you belong to him? Yes. He just made that statement. You have the Spirit of God in you. That means you're a believer. Because that's the only one he indwells. He indwells believers. That's theology. But it's very important. 
as a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells you. When you come to know Christ as Savior, He indwells you. He moves in. He lives there. Right? Lots of passages we could talk about here. But that's the reality of it. And since He lives in you, you belong to Christ. And then He can say, since Christ is in you, He can continue the statement. Alright? That's why verse number 10 follows as it does. He is in you. You belong to Him. The Spirit dwells in you. Now, how well does He get in you? Sort of. Well, kind of. How much, what kind of percentage would you like to put on this? <laughs> I like 100 too. That sounds much better, doesn't it? Would, would you like to be 90% saved? Probably not. Uh, how about one out of seven that you're not saved? That means one day of the week you've got to be unsaved. Would you like that? I don't think you would. We talk about salvation and we say, well, how, how saved can you be? If he is in you. Now, very important preposition. E-N is the Greek preposition, in. If you draw a circle and you put a point in the middle, you've got the word, in. Not going into, not gradually working your way in, not part of the way in, but in. Now, something really, really fascinating in Scripture. There are two kinds of, of thoughts that go within that are very important for us. There is the fact that we are in Christ, and then this passage, that Christ is in us. Last week, we were driving up into Colorado and Wyoming, heading to South Dakota for uh, a little time at uh, Cornerstone, and got to see Megan, that was fun. But as we're going up through Wyoming, we hit one of their snowstorms, or at least the end of it, and the roads were so slushy, and the ice was so cold, and it hit the truck, and it froze instantly. And it just kept doing it all the way down the road, and when we finally stopped at a gas station, it was all I could do to open the door of my truck. It was frozen, about this thick, maybe an inch or more of ice had accumulated on the outside of the truck. And that's all I could do to get out and then come in and open up Pam's door and get her out as well. But the whole truck was encased in it. And because it was black and slushy, it looked like a woolly mammoth. I mean, it was just a, a frightful looking sight. This entire truck, everything coated with a very heavy, heavy coat of ice. We were in it. We were inside that. And there's one picture there. When it says that you are in Christ, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. You know that? In Christ. Not kind of in Christ. In Christ. So that's the full picture. But put it this way too. And Christ is in you. Put those two together and you have security like you've never known it before. You are in Him. He is in you. That pretty much covers all of it, doesn't it? That's the security that I'm talking about here. It's not temporary. It's not a, a partial. It's not a conditional thing. The statement is, He is in you. He is in you. Christ in you. When? Does it say He was in you? 
or he might be in you, or he will be in you. What does it say? He is in you. When? Now. He is in you now. Now, shall that make a difference in our living? What about tomorrow? Is he in you tomorrow? Yes. Even on a Thursday? Yes. What about if it's a bad day Thursday? Yes. We've talked about his faithfulness in several fronts today, haven't we, already? Songs that have been sung. We talk about God's faithfulness. Think of it. He is in you. Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ in you. That will change your day. Just to keep that in your thought. Christ in you. That's reality. Second reality in verse number 11. Not jumping on purpose. I'll come back to the, the inner parts in a minute. It says in verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... Stop. Let's go back to the if. You want it again? It's the same one since. And what does He just now tell us here in verse number 11? Since the Spirit of Him dwells in you. Now, is that a reality? Yes, it is. He dwells in you. He lives in you. We have so many passages that, that just show that there cannot be a maybe on this page. There cannot be a hope so or a possibility. They are all realities. Jesus promised. And he promised back in John 14, verse number 16, I will ask the Father, he said, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. What does that mean to you? He is with you forever. Is that important to Mark? That's a reality. He says in verse 17, John 14, 17, that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you. He abides with you and will be in you. That's a promise from our Savior. Has he always kept his promises? Yes. Verse number 9, we passed up here in John or Romans 8. Verse number 9, it said it there too. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Since, and you've got an if, but that's the sense word again. Since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. He dwells in you. Verse number 11 says it again. He dwells in you. Oiketo is the Greek word. It means to inhabit, to dwell. It comes from oikos. That's not yogurt. That's a house. The simple word. He's made his house in you. By the way, what kind of house is it? What does Corinthians tell you this house is? It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Does he really live in you? How often? Is he treating you like a motel? He just comes and goes? Does he treat it like his favorite vacation spot once a year? 
They're living you for two weeks. How's that? Does he not dwell in you all the time as a believer? All the time? Is that true? That's what the word is saying here. He indwells you. He lives in you. It's a present tense verb. Right now. Right now he is indwelling you. Is that going to make a difference in the way you live? Think that through. Who's now living in you? Well, Christ is in you and the Holy Spirit's in you. Do you feel like it's getting crowded in there? God himself is in you. He's in you. This passage is powerful. Now, go ahead and tell me that Christian living is somehow divorced from theological reality. Go ahead and try to live like it, it, every day is, is just separate from spiritual matters. We can't do that, you see? We just can't think that way. That's what the world wants us to think. That's the way circumstances want you to think. That's what they want you to, to look at life as if, well, God only cares for you in certain conditions. And the passage is not teaching us that at all. When it says, He is in you, and the Spirit dwells in you. Those are realities. Those are realities. And I'm underscoring it heavily, I know this morning. But I think it's important that we've got it anchored down. These are the realities. There's other realities here too. This gets kind of interesting. Go back to verse 10. Since Christ is in you... Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. You say, wait a minute, the body is dead because of sin. Is that true? Hmm. Hmm. What are the consequences of sin? Death. We know that, don't we? Is that a reality? Is that physical death? Yes. Is it spiritual death? Yes. It gets kind of tough walking through this. Some people say, well, what do you mean the body is dead? The body is dead. Here's something I, I, I can set before you. Two thoughts that came to my mind. The first is the reality of it all. The fact is, because of sin, death has entered the world. Romans 5 will tell you that very clearly. It would say that this body is dead because of sin. Matter of fact, we used to walk that way, Ephesians tells us. We walked as dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we formerly walked that way according to the lust of this world. We, we could talk about the reality. The body is dead. The body is dead. But he said, you know, I got it out of bed this morning. Seems to still be working mostly. But is it really dead? Is the body dead? Well, there's a reality, spiritual. There's a reality. The body is dead. But here's another one that maybe you haven't thought about lately. Back up to Romans chapter 6. Because this is the context of what Paul is saying. Romans 6. Start with verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who have... What word do you see? You see the word died there? 
How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know, verse 3 says, that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus. We've been baptized into his what? Death. Keep following. Verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with him. It's proper etiquette to bury the dead. Not the living. Right? We bury the dead. This is it. We have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified. What's the point of crucifixion? Death. The old self, guess what happened? It died. It was crucified, it says. Crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, verse 8, ready? Here it comes, this is fun. There's an if word there, you know what I'm going to do. Now, since we have died with Christ, stop right there. Is the body dead? In union with Christ. Is he in you? Yes. Guess what happened? You have been united in his death. That dealt with sin. That dealt with sin. And it just said you were crucified with him. You've died with him. Those are important words. That's right there in the passage. What a great deterrent for sin. To be dead to it. We've been crucified to it. That we should no longer walk in it. That's the reality that we're reading here. The reality. Dead to sin. But, because we also have the Spirit dwelling in us, we are made alive because of righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's not my righteousness. Because that's compared to a filthy rag. It's His righteousness. Because of His righteousness, you're alive. Here's a great section of Scripture you really ought to know. Galatians 2, 20, and verse 21. You've got to know them. Matter of fact, you ought to see it. If you're not there, turn there. I'll give you a minute. Galatians, you can find it after Romans, Corinthians. Then you got Galatians before you hit Ephesians. So if you get Ephesians, you've gone too far. If you're in Philippians, you've gone too far. But Galatians chapter 2, in verse 20, verse 21. Maybe you have a marked in your Bible already. Maybe you don't and you need to. Look at these words. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives where? In me. And the life that I now live, that's now, now. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And look at the next three words. Who loved me 
Does that sound like somebody who loved you only momentarily or conditionally or occasionally? He died. He loved me and gave himself up for me. So I do not nullify the grace of God. I do not nullify the grace of God. When we live contrary to this principle, it's as if God's grace is just not going to be what God said it is. We act like it's nothing. We nullify it. Let's not do that, okay? Let's not live that way. Let's not live as if God's word is untrue. Let's not live as if God's love is unsincere. Let's not nullify His grace by thinking other than the fact that we have died in Christ and He lives in us. And that's what the passage says. Righteousness comes from Christ, not from the law, not from the things you do, not from your, your side of things. Because if that was true, then Christ died needlessly. Those are important verses. To understand the realities of Christian living... Christ lives in me. All of you have heard it now. It's right now. It's right now. That makes my body dead on account of sin. Because it's been crucified. And I'm alive on account of righteousness because He did it. He did it. That pertains to right now living. I'm looking at the clock saying, what should I do with the next three pages? Ah. Boy, I'd love to just keep going with this. I really need to. Maybe we just need to let that soak in first. (laughs) Because I want to talk about verse 11 too. And what does it mean that the Spirit dwells in you? And the difference that makes as well. I've got to say that. That's just too... I just don't want to... I just don't want to give you pieces. All right? This is where we must stop. We we have to talk to the Lord about these things. Because too many times... I, I. would look at myself too many times Christian living is not lining up with Christian doctrine it's just not lining up like it should and we get confused and we start to question and we doubt Clare you said it so well in that one verse we doubt his goodness we doubt his love we, we, we walk around as if we're defeated individuals we walk around as if God has got the ziggle whip and he just can't wait to use it on us. And how many times have we been that way? Even in the last week. There is a secure relationship you have with him. That's what it's talking about in this passage. In your life right now, it's secure. It is secure because Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Heavenly Father, you know us all very well. and you, you have seen us so many times just floundering like a fish on the dock out of the water. We're, we have no clue at times, Lord, that your work and your grace and your love and your faithfulness and your mercy and your kindness has never left us. We act as though you've gone. You're gone. We act as though you, you've only met with us uh, like a fair-weather friend. That you only care for us when we're doing things the way that uh, it's designed in Scripture. Oh, we'd like to be doing it that way. Yes. It's our ambition. It's our desire. You know it. 
Our spirit is willing. But Lord, you know our flesh is weak. And as you look down upon us, Lord, and you see us struggling so often and wondering if, if you even care for us, if we're still your children, your word comes to us in a powerful way this morning. Just the fact that Christ is in us is an anchor for our soul. It gives us stability for the lives that we live. May we not forget these words, Lord. May they be uh, inscribed in our hearts. May we understand the truth of this passage. The life we live, we live in Christ, who loves us and who gave his life for us. Lord, impress it upon us that this week as we walk forward, whatever the circumstances, whatever the events that might cross our path, give us the reminder over and over again, Christ is in me. Christ is in me. Christ is in me. Sure up that foundation, Lord, in our hearts, in our minds. Encourage us with it. Strengthen us with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.